People who want to see a new pipeline carrying Alberta oil to the West Coast got a bit of good news last week. The National Energy Board released another ruling on the Trans Mountain project that says it's in the national interest to get the pipeline built. But how far does that get us in the process? I'm Dave Breckenridge and this is 10-3. We look at what the ruling said, what hurdles the project still faces, and what the delays say about the approval process for energy infrastructure in Canada. If you're listening to this through one of the many post-media sites across the country, and you want to get every episode right to your device, head on over to your favorite listening app like Apple Podcasts and hit subscribe. If you feel so inclined, be sure to leave a review or even a comment. Chris Varco is a columnist with the Calgary Herald. So, Chris, the National Energy Board last week released a ruling that is favorable toward the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion. So does that mean we get a pipeline? <laughs> no, not so fast would be my uh, would be my advice. What this was was an important milestone in the sense that this ruling from the National Energy Board was required if the project was going to get back on path and it passed through it passed over this hurdle. However, it's still got a couple of more major hurdles still to go through. One of them has to do with the fact that um, if we go back to last August when this project was halted, the Federal Court of Appeal said there were two major problems here with this project and the way it had been proceeded. One was it had to, to do with the way that the National Energy Board had assessed the impacts of marine uh, sort of marine traffic safety issues and basically the increasing tanker traffic on the Salish Sea. So the NEB came back with this report and said, we believe it can be done given the 16 different recommendations that we have given for to the government. However, the second thing that the court found was that the project that it basically the federal government had messed up on providing meaningful consultation with indigenous communities. And so that process is going underway. And we don't know when it's going to end. But until that process is wrapped up, the federal government won't be making a final decision on whether to basically reissue a permit for this project. Okay, so we've we've gotten the first part out of the way where they've relooked at the effect on marine life in the Salish Sea. So what what does the report say in in relation to that? And are the conclusions any different from the initial re- approval back in 2016? Well, the net result is no. Um, that there's not very much difference. It finds that the project is a net benefit to the country and. It makes, I believe it's 16 new recommendations here that weren't included in the first go around back in 2016 that looks at ways to mitigate the impact of this project on marine shipping. And and the things that they're recommending to the government is that they look at the cumulative effects and manage the effects of the traffic on the Salish Sea, measures to offset increased underwater noise and any of the increased strike risk that might happen with regard to these uh, tankers and marine mammals, specifically the killer whale population in that area. Uh, So there's some other measures that have been recommended here. But at the end of the day, the NEB said, we realize that the project itself is likely to cause some significant adverse environmental effects on the killer whale population. However, we believe they can be mitigated. And we believe that if the mitigation is done, there are a number of benefits. And those benefits include uh, more jobs, access to diverse markets for Canadian oil. So basically market access into, you know, whether they want to move the oil to Asia rather than the United States, the development of capacity of local indigenous businesses and individuals and direct spending on the pipelines. And then finally, and not to be overlooked is the revenue it's going to generate for the governments themselves. So those are the benefits. 
So when they say significant adverse effects on wildlife, specifically the resident uh, killer whale population, what do they mean by adverse effects and what mitigation are they suggesting? I mean, ostensibly what they're saying is there'll be an increase in tanker traffic. We know that. We know that instead of, I believe it's right now, we're looking at about five uh, oil tankers going through that area a month, that will be increased to 34. So any increase in that traffic obviously will have an impact. However, it's worth pointing out that there's all kinds of other tanker or other, all kinds of other traffic, marine traffic that is going through there as well, including the BC ferries. So th- what they're saying is you have to look at this in context. And we believe that if you put together these measures that we're talking about to, you know, look at a, a cumulative effects management plan and looking at ways to sort of, uh, decrease the potential impact uh, on these uh, on these mammals through strikes and through noises that we believe that you can actually manage this in, in a process that in some ways might be better than what's in place there today. So we have this new report. There's still consultation that has to be done with First Nations communities. Are we hopeful that we're going to see a pipeline built in fiscal 2019 or are we looking 2020, 2021? What's the everyone's best guess? That's a betting game at this uh, stage. The the answer lies with the federal government. And I spoke with the federal natural resources minister, Amajit Sohi, last week, and he was very careful not to be pinned down on saying when they will make a ruling on the consultations with Indigenous First Nations communities that are impacted by the project. And in part, that's because they got into trouble the last time by not holding meaningful con, uh, meaningful consultations. So they're being very careful not to put a timeline on it. That being said, I think the the premier uh, on Friday said she expects that we will see construction going probably by the fall, so before the next federal election. Other people think that, you know, we might be looking into 2020. I wouldn't put place any bets on this because I think everybody expected this project was going to be well underway last summer, and we got a federal court of appeal ruling that nobody expected. This seems like a big step. It's one of the two hurdles that the Court of Appeal said need to be dealt with before this thing can go ahead. But at the same time, it seems kind of like nothing because it doesn't get us any further to an end game here. Are industry players looking at this with optimism? Are politicians looking at this with, with optimism? Or is it just kind of still, well, we'll see. I would say that the industry itself, and I, and I talked to a number of industry players on Friday, remain deeply skeptical. And, and the reason for that is because they've seen so many delays on this project in the past. So this project was deemed back in May of 2016 by the National Energy Board to be in the country's interests. And the federal government approved this project in November of 2016. So I think I did the calculations and it's been more than a thousand days since that first NEB approval. And we're basically right back to where we were before in many ways, except we're still waiting for the federal government to wrap up with the indigenous consultation phase of it. So in some ways, maybe we're still a little bit behind where we were a thousand days ago. And I think there's another point to remember here, and that is whatever ruling comes from the National Energy Board today or, you know, last week and whatever the federal government decides can still be challenged back in court. And the opponents of this project were very clear to say on Friday that they don't believe that the NEB made the right decision and that they will likely challenge us as well. So I think anybody who assumes that this clears the path for pipeline, uh, you know, to be built is, is really wishing more than basing that on fact. That's one major hurdle that the project will potentially have to deal with. Where are things at with the consultations with First Nations in BC 
related to this project? Uh, they're ongoing as we speak. And the federal minister made a point to me as saying that they've got a number of teams on the ground that they've met with, I believe it's more than uh, 50 First Nations groups so far and more to go on. Um, but again, he's not prepared to put a time frame on when this process needs to wrap up. Obviously, the decision relating to the Trans Mountain uh, pipeline affects the Trans Mountain pipeline. But looking at the process and the delays and the core challenges and having to redo consultations and redo environmental assessments, it leaves the impression that there's a lot more potentially hanging on this decision than just this one project. Is this a case of other uh, companies are looking at how Canada deals with approvals for projects and is are thinking about investment in Canada in a different way? Are there ripple effects this could have through industry? I'd say yes, and I think it plays out in two different ways. And first off, I'll say this, that there's a lot of companies in the Canadian energy sector right now that are very reluctant to make major investments uh, in new production, in part because we have curtailment, and curtailment is in place because we don't have pipeline access. And I think they, you know, they don't want to put money into the ground, so to speak, uh, without some sort of assurances that they can get their product to customers. So there's a general reluctance for, from investors to uh, to put money into energy companies. There's a general reluctance from the companies themselves to invest in drilling and exploration activities. The other thing to remember is that this project is going through a process which is going to be changing soon because Bill C-69 uh, is going to alter the way that major energy projects and mining projects, I might add, are assessed environmentally by the federal government. So this we're going to see a brand new process put in place at some point. And where are things at with Bill C-69? It still hasn't gone back for final reading in the House of Commons, correct? Correct. It's Right now, it's before the Senate. They're holding hearings. They're going to be holding hearings across the country in the coming weeks. Uh, but the expectation is, is that that bill will move forward before the federal election, which is likely to be in the fall. Are there any other federal bills that are, could potentially impact uh, Alberta oil and tanker traffic off the West Coast? Yeah, there's a bill C-48, uh, the tanker ban, which uh, was really the bill... And, and is the mechanism by which the Northern Gateway project is was sort of sidelined. That's going to have an impact upon uh, any tanker traffic off the northern areas of the uh, of the BC coast. So that's another significant piece of legislation that has the industry watching very closely. That doesn't impact necessarily Trans Mountain, as you're talking about Northern BC, not Southern BC, though, right? Exactly. Trans Mountain goes ostensibly from the Edmonton area to Jasper, and then all the way straight down uh, into the Burnaby area. Now, when it comes to Alberta and its oil, obviously, the provincial government wants to see a pipeline get built. The main opposition party, which could become the government in spring 2019, wants to see a pipeline get built. But in the absence of that, where are things at now with Alberta and its oil and getting its oil to market? Well, as, as I mentioned earlier, the Alberta government is curtailing production to the tune of about 300,000 barrels a day uh, because there's excess production more than the takeaway capacity that's available. So that's the first piece. The, the second piece is that the Alberta government is 
uh, busy right now putting together a deal to get rail cars. Uh, they've just signed a deal and announced it last week with uh, CN and CP, which they say will increase the takeaway capacity out of the Western Canadian sedimentary basin by about 120,000 barrels a day. Really what that does is that puts together two large unit trains that can move oil uh, out of Alberta and all the way down to the U.S. Gulf Coast. Um, that's a pretty expensive proposition. And right now, the opposition leader in this province, Jason Kenney, has said that he would scrap that deal if he gets elected. So there's a big question mark over the oil by rail front as well as it relates to the government. How would Alberta help get its oil to market without a pipeline? And if the opposition leader becomes premier and decides to scrap this deal, what like what is the solution then? <laughs> well, then you're into an unknown territory. You really are. Because if you can't move it by pipeline, which is the most efficient and safest way to move it, and if your rail capacity doesn't ramp up, then you're going to end up, you know, potentially by trucking, you're going to be putting oil in storage or you're simply not going to be producing it. And that's really sort of the crux of the issue here is that if you choke off all of the access points out of Western Canada for crude to move to markets, at some point, something's got to give. And we've seen the price give, we've seen the storage levels go up, and we've seen the government have it to curtail production. Um, but if we can't get pipelines built in the next two or three years, I think it's a real question about what happens next. And obviously, there's a lot of money hanging on that, both for the Alberta government and the federal government when it comes to, to resource revenue and taxes billions of dollars of royalties and in income taxes, personal taxes. Oh yeah, all kinds of financial implications here for the governments. Any idea when we could expect more movement on construction of this? I know people are talking about uh, Rachel Notley's hopeful for the fall. This could go into next year, depending on what court challenges are. But when could we expect to hear more about the consultations with First Nations. The government's being very careful not to, to put timelines on it. I think most people would expect to hear something in the summer uh, or by the summer, maybe by the fall at, at the outset, um, but likely earlier than that. So that's one key thing to watch. Of course, the, when we're talking about pipelines, the other key projects here to watch as well are Enbridge's Line 3 replacement project, which is under construction right now. Mm -hmm. It's hopeful that that'll be done by the fourth quarter. And then there's two other projects, the Keystone XL project, um, that I think we're waiting to hear, you know, what's going to happen down in the United States. And then, of course, Trans Mountain, which we've just discussed. Well, you know, lots to look for uh, going forward. Chris, thanks for your time. Thanks. 10.3 is produced by Carson Jarama. Technical support this episode from Al Sheree. Special thanks to my guest, Chris Varco. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.